Well, good afternoon to all of you. It's good to be with you. Um, it is a family service, obviously, so um, which means that the children are with us today. And I know that can be a little bit of a distraction at times, and we understand that, so I'm going to preach shorter than Jesse preaches. Um, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to have the kids with us. And we do this once a quarter about uh, not just to give a break to the children's workers, though that's good, but it's so that the kids can be here and they can see what it is that we do in church. They can see you as the adults praising the Lord and hearing from his word, praying together, loving one another, and today um, even being able to see baptisms and testimonies of God's grace. And so today is a special day for our church um, because, like we said, it is our sixth anniversary. Uh, don't clap. Okay, don't clap for us. Um, it's kind of weird. I don't know what we call it anniversary. It's kind of like a birthday, or so it's kind of like a birthday, but we use anniversary. That's the terminology. Um, we also get to see some exciting things this afternoon. In a little bit, we're going to hear and witness testimonies of God's grace from three of our sisters in Christ who are being baptized this afternoon. They're going to publicly proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ before the church. And then we're going to welcome in the new church members who are joining to commit to life together here at Zoe with one another. So there's a lot going on, but still what is most essential for us as a church, as our DNA at Zoe, is that we come together before the Word of God, because that's really what brings us together. That's what binds us together here at Zoe, and that's why this church exists. So if you have your Bibles, and children, this includes you, you can open to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in chapter 145, Psalm 145. If you haven't noticed as you're turning there, uh, we've been in a series in the books of First and Second Samuel, and when we take breaks from this series, we've been trying to do Psalms written by David. And the reason for that is that the books of First and Second Samuel are about David, who becomes the greatest king of Israel, but he also wrote all these Psalms. He wrote many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, and they show us kind of behind the scenes, beyond just the facts of the story, what is going on in David's heart. We get to hear David's own response to the Lord, which has been instrumental in teaching the people of God for thousands of years how to orient our hearts to the Lord. And so we're going to be in another Psalm of David, Psalm 145. We're going to read and study the first nine verses of this Psalm together. And as we do, what we're going to see is that when we come to the Lord to remember and celebrate, as we do this Sunday, we're not celebrating ourselves. We're not celebrating what we've done. What we're called to do instead is to praise our God and our King. So you can read with me Psalm 145, verses 1 through 9. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's pray together. Father God, in this time as we look into your word, as we study the psalm, I pray that the focus would be rightly on you, that you would receive all the glory and honor for what you've done and who you are. And we pray, God, that this afternoon, together as a church family, we would rejoice in our Heavenly Father, you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look back on six years of God's faithfulness to us, look forward to however long the Lord will have us 
here existing in Texas. I hope this psalm will lead us to focus not on praising ourselves, not on the circumstances, but on praising the Lord. So we'll get into it. In this psalm, you're going to have three points that we're going to see in these first nine verses. The persistence, the proclamation, and finally, the person. Starting in verse 1, we see the persistence in this song of praise. Now, in the beginning of this psalm, it says a song of praise of David, and these little headlines are part of the scriptures. This could be entitled something like David's song of praise. Now, that could mean a couple of things. It could mean that David wrote it. It could mean that he's the one who authored it, and that is at least what it means. But it could also mean more particularly that this was a song that David loved to sing himself. It's different than other psalms that are talked about as David's psalms. This one says it's David's song of praise. And he began in verse 1, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So if you look at this psalm, it starts with David making very clear that there should be no limit to the extent of our praise. In other words, when you read these words of the psalm, when you sing these words, the idea is that we can never praise God enough. And that's something that needs to be said in the church because I think a lot of times uh, that can be taken for granted, that we're done with the part about God and we're going to move on to all the important, applicable, relevant things. And yet for David, he says that the persistent praise of his heart is what God desires. He says, I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless and praise your name again forever and ever. And so you're looking at this psalm. It's repetitive. It's continual. And the amazing thing is that this is what David loved to do. He loved to praise God. He loved to worship. And if you read the psalms, you'll notice that, that every day was a good day to praise for David. Even the bad days. The first half of the psalms is full of all these psalms about bad things happening to this man, and yet he consistently returns to praise. And so in the good times and the bad, all times really, every Sunday is a Sunday for praise. Every day is a day for praise. And this models for us something that we as a church need to believe and live out. We can get caught up in all sorts of things as a church, all sorts of programs, you know, wanting to get a building, which we've talked about a little bit. We get caught up in all of these material things. But what did Jesus say in John 4 that God the Father was seeking? He said, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God wants people who will worship. As a church, what we're doing this afternoon is celebration, but it's not an inwardly focused celebration. It's not look at what we have accomplished or look at what we have done. It is look at what God has done and accomplished. And so we praise his name. We lift him up. We extol him today and every day because it's what God delights in and it's what God deserves. The psalm says that David will praise the Lord, will extol him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now, a few weeks back, I was talking to a college student who grew up in the church, and I was trying to talk to him about the gospel. And um, he told me that he had left the church, and he was telling me some of the reasons why. And he said, Christians never seem to be able to explain to me 
what is so great about heaven. Because it sounds like what you do in heaven is you just sit around and you sing songs forever. And he said, you have to admit, no offense, Pastor, you have to admit that that sounds pretty boring because people seem pretty bored in church. And I said, no, not a Zoe. <laughs> no, I understood exactly what he meant. Because if you're really honest, right, you hear this and it sounds good. David's like, I praise your name forever and ever. But then you think about it. How can you spend all your time just kind of praising, just, just, just singing these songs? How can you spend all your time worshiping God? I think if you think of it that way, it can really start to feel, as that student said, boring. I could relate to it. It's like if we take what David is saying here at face value, it sounds kind of weird. Like this is just going to be the longest worship chorus in the history of long worship choruses. And you guys know how that goes, right? You've probably been around church a little bit. A few months ago, I decided I was going to try to pick up the guitar and learn to, to play some worship songs again that I enjoyed listening to. And there's a song I heard the chorus of. And so I looked up the lyrics, and it was really short. The lyrics were like this long. And I went to YouTube to find out how to play it. And the YouTube video was 15 minutes. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I expect there's going to be a lot of repetition. A whole lot of choruses going on. This is not what David is talking about. Okay, David is not saying that, that he just wants to sing one long song for the rest of eternity to bore everyone out of their mind. It's not just endless droning that he loves to sing. What David says is that the reason he can praise every day and forever is because God is unsearchable. You see that in the text, right? Great is the Lord, verse 3, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. That's the word. The word here in Hebrew basically means it cannot be fully explored. It can, it can be explored, but never fully. You'll never get to the end of God if you begin to learn more about him. There are always going to be more reasons to praise and to worship, new things to discover, new things to find out, more things to explore of his greatness and glory. Six years into this church, it's crazy, right? We started with about 30 people, less than that, in our home here in Allen. I have to say that God has shown his greatness to us in many ways. He has answered our prayers. He's provided every need. He's brought us through some sufferings and challenges and trials. He's allowed for reconciliation, people to come to faith, change and hope in the lives of the people at our church. But we haven't exhausted God. Right, not, not even close to it. Six years we've seen and we've gone through a lot of books of the Bible. We've preached a lot and we've learned a lot. We haven't even scratched the surface of the reasons we should offer him praise. David says his greatness is unsearchable. No matter what you have learned about God, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how many things I say today that you're like, I already heard him, there are more things for you to discover about God. More things to learn and to praise him for. More reasons worship. There can never be a point where we have come to the end of reasons to extol the king. And so the first thing we see in this psalm is persistence, the persistence of praise. If we're going to be a faithful church, we need to remember that our job is worship in all of life. And then we need to do the things that will get us there. Worship that is constant and unending and persistent that comes from seeking out who God is in his word, understanding his glory responding to him 
and his mighty works. And this leads us to the next part of the psalm, which shows us that this unending praise, it isn't simply repetition of hollow words. It is a response to God for his mighty works. Next, we see after the persistence, the proclamation of God's praise. As we continue, we're going to touch on a biblical theme that the Bible often says, which is that the works of God, the things that we see that God has done, the things he's created, things he's doing in our lives, all of these things reveal his glory. They proclaim the glory of God. In other words, what God has created, what he has done, what he has given to us, gives us reason to respond in praise. Look at verse 5 with me. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. What is the psalm saying? If you follow the logic of David here, he's saying God made everything. Okay, you know this, children, you know this, right? Who made you? Who made everything? God did. He created the whole world, and in this world alone, even in this, the world that we can see, there are many things that are glorious and wonderful and mighty and awesome. There are things in, in nature and the world around us that, that we see and we stand in awe of. And therefore, without exception, the things that God has created point us to their glorious, mighty, and awesome creator. You know, I talked about kind of feeling like it'd be boring to, to sing a song forever. I think at the same time in the church, sometimes we have this misconception that, that we will come to the end of understanding God, that somehow we'll, we'll get all there is to know about him. If I were to ask the question, do you think you could run out of things to praise God for? Some of you might, in your heart, not out loud, say, yeah, I probably would. I'd probably run out in five minutes, ten minutes. And yet, what if I were to flip the question around and ask you this? Do you think that we'll ever be able to run out of things to uncover about the universe? What do you think? Probably not, right? I think most people would say, no way. Even if we were to live another thousand, a million years, we wouldn't come close to exhausting all of the secrets of the universe. And so it stands to reason, according to David and the Psalms, that if God is the one who created all this, there's infinitely more for us to learn about and to praise him for. Everything that we experience, everything we discover, should lead us to proclaim his glory. What's the disconnect for us then? I think it's this. We don't really see everything as something that should bring us to praise. We don't see everything in our world as something that proclaims the glory of God. Yet this is how David lived. This is how David teaches us in the Psalms to act. Every experience that we've had as a church, every person that's come through our doors, even every person that's left, every difficult relationship, every great relationship, proclaims the glory of God in some way. It's incumbent on us to learn what that is so that we can respond rightly. When we feel like that college student I talked to, when we feel like, like we're not excited about heaven or about God, then our vision of God is too small. It's stunted. It needs to be higher. If we're going to be a biblical church, and I hope we will be for the years to come, if we're going to be a church that does what God wants us to do, then we need to have a high view of God. I don't know if we've talked about this enough as a church. We need to have a high view of God not of ourselves, 
And this is something that is criminally absent in the church today. You go into church after church after church, and it's about everything going on down here. It's about the people coming in the doors. It's about making sure everyone feels good. But it's not about God. It's not about lifting him up. It's not about extolling who he is. It's not talking about how he's in control and he is the one who's running the show and deserving of the praise. It's not about what pleases him anymore. Somehow it becomes about what pleases us. And yet for us to live lives of worship and praise, it's got to be about God first. We have to have this exceedingly high view of God. A lot of people talk about God's glory. What we seldom realize is that God's glory does not wax and wane. You guys understand what I mean? God's glory doesn't change day by day. It's not like one day he's glorious, the next day not so glorious. No, he is always infinitely glorious. What's the matter? It's us. It's our eyes. We don't see rightly. God's glory is always proclaimed. We don't always listen. We don't always see. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we can praise forever and ever, if we have the eyes to receive, to see, to hear the proclamation of his glory in everything. A better way to think about what it means to praise God is to respond to him. You're not drumming up something in your heart. You're not creating something out of thin air. You are seeing God and you're responding to what he does. And we're going to see that in the baptism testimonies we're going to have today. It's never about what we do first for God. It's about what he has done for us that we respond to so that he receives the glory. You know, in heaven, we talked about it a little bit. In heaven, it's not going to be this endless worship chorus. We will have forever to praise God as we explore the depths and heights of God's creation. Always further up and further in able to to look at everything he has done, freed from sin and death and people hurting us or running out of time. We'll have all this freedom, finally, to respond to all the things that proclaim God's glory perfectly. To see clearly how every bit of creation, every idea that we mind the depths of, declares the glory of God, our creator, and our hearts will respond to it. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon, right now, and children even, this afternoon right now, what you see in your life that God has done, the family he's given, the church that he's put us in, the people that he has saved and forgiven, it should cause us to proclaim with all creation how great he is. In your own life, you recognize then that God has shown himself to be great. Do you understand that? I don't know if we all do. But I said already, God's glory doesn't wax and wane. In your own life, then it's true. God has shown himself to be glorious. And that's a hard thing for some people to hear because bad things have happened in people's lives. If the Bible is clear that God is in control, he is showing himself to be great. If you have the eyes to see and put your faith in Christ, you'll be able to turn and worship to him. Even the small things, the birth of a child, the grace to persevere through another day, the paycheck you get, the friend who cares and helps, these are all ways God shows himself to be great. They proclaim his glory, and even in the hard things, things that reveal your sin, things that cause you to depend on him, to turn in prayer when you otherwise wouldn't have prayed for months on end, those things reveal the glory of God, our creator. 
The church needs to be a place that makes much of God. At Zoe, we need to be a place that presents a high view of God, where we see God in everything, not because everything is God, but because God created everything and he designed it to proclaim how great he is. It's a paradigm shift that we need to have individually and as a church, that it's not about us. It's not about our dreams. It's not about our desires. It's not about our future. It's about him. Every moment he gives us is meant to tell about how good and great the Lord is. He alone deserves the glory. Our old pastor at the church that uh, Jesse and I were pastoring at before they sent us to plant this church, he would often say this phrase, we want people to leave church not saying, what a great church, but what a great God. And that's true for us here at Zoe. We don't say it all the time, you know, partly because uh, we're not into logos and mottos and things like that. But we believe in the idea. We want people to come to church and not be about us, but be about the Lord and his word, what he has done. How does this happen? By putting the focus on Jesus Christ. And this leads us to the final part of this song of praise that we'll look at this afternoon. Finally, we see the person. If we're going to proclaim God, if we're going to put the focus on him, then we need to know who it is we're proclaiming. What leads to true, real worship from the heart towards God is the understanding of who God is, coupled with a personal experience of how wonderfully loving and gracious he has been to us. You see, what fuels worship really is not just a high view of God, right? That's part of it, knowing that God is great, but also understanding how much God loves us, how good he has been to us, how gracious he is. To understand that we have been the recipients of his mercy and grace. Look at verses 8 and 9 of the psalm. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. His mercy. If the words of verse 8 sound familiar to you, they should. They come from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, one of the most important passages in the Bible. So you can highlight it, you can mark it down, uh, take a mental picture of it if you want. It's a passage in Exodus 34 where God told Moses that he would show him who he was that he would proclaim him who he was because Moses wanted to see. He wanted to know who God is. And so in Exodus 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. If you guys have read this verse, these, chap these verses before, you'll see that there is a paradox about who God is. The Bible says the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He forgives sin. And yet... He is absolutely just. He does not clear the guilty. 
How does this work? Where there's good news and bad news. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. That's good news because we're all sinners. But in the same sentence, he will by no means clear the guilty. That's bad news because we're all guilty. It's a great paradox of mercy that has been around from the earliest revelation of God to men. What is the Bible saying? What does David understand in the psalm by by going back to Exodus 34? God is holy. God is perfect. He is pure. He cannot stand sin. He will judge every person on this earth for what we have done. And yet, he loves the sinner and he forgives. How can this be? It's because of what we call the gospel. As a church, the gospel of Jesus Christ is why we exist. And even this psalm written hundreds, a thousand years before Jesus came, points us to this. What is the gospel? When we say the gospel, okay, when we use that term, we need to understand what that means. And, and for the children here, you need to understand too, the gospel in Greek is the word euangelizo, where we get the word evangelism or evangelize from. It means good message. That's simply what it means. It is the good message. So the gospel in its most basic definition is the good news, the message that the apostles proclaimed about who Jesus is and what he has done. It's the message of who Jesus is and what he has done to show God's perfect hatred of sin and also his undeserved forgiveness for sinners. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, came to this world and he lived a perfect life. He lived a life that none of us could ever live. He never sinned. He never broke God's law. He never did anything wrong. He was the only sinless person who has ever existed. And then he went to the cross and died. Not for his sins, but for ours. And the gospel tells us that in his death, he took the wrath of holy God against sinners. So that the justice of God would be satisfied. So that God could punish sin, right, on Jesus but forgive the sinner, us who believe. So we can be forgiven of iniquity and transgression, and yet God can uphold his righteousness forever. Not because he sweeps under the rug the bad things that people do, but because the penalty was paid by Jesus, and it is finished. And so as a church, we need to remember that this is the person we focus on, Jesus Christ, that the gospel of what he has done for us Not because we're good people, but because we're sinful people who have put our faith in a Savior. As a church, the penalty was paid by Jesus, and we receive the blessings of it. We're all sinners. We're worthy of death and separation and condemnation. The Bible says God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love toward us when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. The person we praise when we come as a church together isn't a far-off God. He's not a God who has created us and left us to our own devices. The Bible tells us he is a God who is merciful, a God who is near, a God whose Son came into the world to reveal to us the Father to die in our place, to save us from sin. So as we celebrate six years as a church, I hope that we're celebrating what we celebrated on year one of the church. Not us, but Jesus Christ, his gospel, his church, his word. It's all for him.
The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love to us. He is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made, and even especially so to us, those who know and believe in Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to partake of communion together. And we're going to hear and have the blessing of hearing from three of our sisters in Christ who are going to get baptized. And all of these things, we are proclaiming the glory of God because we understand his mercy to us. As we partake of communion together and as we listen to these testimonies, I encourage you to see this not as a time of lifting up these sisters in Christ, that we want to encourage them, but really of joining them in praising the Lord for what he has done, for who he is today, this Sunday, and forever. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this afternoon and we ask that you would be lifted up in our church. God, today might be our church's birthday, but by no means should it be our party, God. It's all for Jesus. And so we pray that this time as we prepare to partake in communion, that you would remind us of the gospel, of Jesus who died on the cross, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed so that we who believe might be forgiven and set free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, three of our sisters in Christ will be baptized uh, this afternoon outside, and we've asked them to come and share their testimonies with us all, and so we can together rejoice and respond to the work that God is doing in their lives. So first, I want to um, uh, invite up uh, our sister Christiana Gomez, and then she'll be followed by Wei Hua, and followed finally by Adriana Castillo. Uh, let's welcome Christiana up here. Hi, everyone. I'm thankful to be here today. Uh, my name is Christiana. I remember accepting Jesus into my little four-year-old heart on a Sunday morning in San Jose, California. Growing up in a Christian household has been both a blessing and in some ways a struggling point. I was blessed to have been taught to memorize Bible verses, read the word every day, and to recognize that it is not by works, no matter how perfect I may try to be, but by faith that I am saved from the fate that I so deserve. As a young child, I learned what my parents taught me, but it was more for them than from me fully grasping why we do these certain things as confessing Christians. This is where I began to learn codependency and people-pleasing, thus putting people before God in my life. Throughout the years, I've picked up other bad habits, such as learning how to manipulate from a childhood abuser, temper issues, and the state of always wanting to be in control. Now, looking back, I recognize these habits were developed as defense mechanisms Still, as I was still not relying on God for peace and his plan in my life. I know that these things are wrong and that I will probably struggle with them for the rest of my life. Though that may be the case, I thank God that he has brought me to places in my life where I can continue to work on them. As an adult Christian, one of the biggest development periods of my life was when I started attending a Celebrate Recovery group back in California. This group surrounded me with Christian women who helped me process through emotional hang-ups, which I have another bad habit of trying to avoid, and learn what God has to say to those who struggle with sin. This also taught me that I don't have to go through it alone. I am not the first 
nor the last person to struggle with shame, anger, pride, and more. But praise God, with the help of the women around me, I began by taking the first step towards healing, specifically by mindfully practicing letting go and letting God. As Jesus said in Matthew 6:26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth more than they? Since moving to Texas, God has brought me through a devastating job loss in one of my dreams careers, and through it, I realized that God does not always put his people into a position in life just to fulfill that position, but for the people he has for you to meet and the teachable moments that are included in that journey. Recently, a lot of my life has felt like test after test, and I know that God is working on me. To name a few, patience with others, thankfulness for the place in life God has me right now, and trust that he has a plan for me are all things that I have been struggling to maintain. Though I still fall short of these sins and plenty others, I know God is not done with me yet. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your requests known to God. Philippians 4.6 Though I am told that I was baptized as a young child, I want to take this opportunity to now publicly proclaim that I am a sinner and I always will be. There is no hope for me except by the name of Jesus and the blood that he shed to cover my limitless shortcomings. So here I am to acknowledge the fleshly sin that I, that I struggle with and to say out loud that I cannot do it on my own. My trust is in Jesus for full forgiveness of my sins for the rest of my life. Thank you. Thanks for the very warm welcome. Uh, my name is Wei. I've been here for a little over a year now, so I've met most of the members. And thanks for providing this special opportunity today to get me baptized today. This is a very meaningful moment for me to be here and share my testimony with my brothers and sisters in this community. I first heard about the gospel and God when I was in college through the campus ministry. It was the first time I learned about God and his true nature instead of another religion. I'm grateful that God has opened the door to his kingdom through this ministry and transformed my heart. I started reading the Bible on my own and attend the church's Sunday service. God's word have helped me navigate through many issues I had back then and helped me with my frustrations and difficulties I had during the time and find resolutions and also presented new opportunities and targets on my life. I want to bring my family to the same opportunity of transformation and learn about God and his promises. This way they could listen to God's word and find their peace in life as well. Through learning about God and his word, I know that when I have difficult situations, confusions and struggles, I could always ask for his wisdom and help. God has been faithful and shown me the correct path for me to take when decisions seem to be impossible to make and cause stress on me, I have found my peace in prayers and trusted God to guide me to the right way instead of relying on my own limited judgment. 
Living in the world that's ever-changing, it's too easy to lose track of truth and righteousness. God's words have provided me with solid ground, standing ground, so I do not get deceived and strayed to the wrong side. I am very also grateful that um, to join Zoe Church by God's lead because the structure Bible studies have greatly helped me with my growth in God's words and desires. It has empowered my capability to share the Gospels and build God's kingdom. The faithful community of Zoe Church has also been a great support and a reminder to me of God's never-ending love. So I'm very grateful to be here and join Zoe Church today as well. I want to get baptized today because I learned about the true meaning of baptism through my time at Zoe Church. Jesus has given us the chance to reborn, to be reborn, and it is essential for us as Christians to identify ourselves in faith. We should always obey God's word because we need Him. We should love each other and build God's kingdom. Only God can save us from our sin, so we should put our trust in Him and repent our sin. It is also a significant moment to present our devotion to serve God today for me. Thanks again for the opportunity for baptism today. It is a joyful honor to proclaim my faith and trust in God on this day. Thank you. Hi, my name is Adriana. I was born and raised in Texas, raised by both my parents in a small town called Kaufman. I was raised Catholic and followed the traditions of the Catholic Church, such as being baptized as an infant. Growing up, I always knew right from wrong, but knowing what I know now does not put me in right standing with God. I always knew we had a God and someone that we could confide in. I never knew the scripture and truly who God was, because even being raised as a Catholic, I wasn't exposed to knowing the Bible in ways I could understand. It was mostly my brother and I going to church because my parents wanted us to. It was a tradition. It was something we just did on Sundays. I would go to children's ministry and they would talk about the meaning of Jesus, but I left class, I left class feeling so confused because even though Sundays was for worshiping Jesus, outside of just going to church, God wasn't ever talked about in our household. As time went on, I started to notice we weren't going to church on Sundays as much, only for special occasions, certain holidays, and the only when it was convenient. I always felt like something was missing in my life. I had, I had felt that there was more to life than just living it. My dad had an accident about over five years ago. It was a ziplining accident at one of his company's yearly picnic. The zipline was set up about 30 plus feet high. And when it was his turn, as soon as he stepped off the platform, his, his rope snapped in half, causing him to flat, fall flat on his back. Of course, he wanted us to record it, so I had it all on video. Everything happened so fast, I noticed a crowd surrounding him and one of his coworkers giving him CPR. My dad finally gained his consciousness 
but could not move. He was rushed to Baylor and he was rushed to Baylor in Dallas. He had several broken ribs, a broken wrist, punctured lungs, and his front teeth were knocked out by the impact of the fall. Seeing him laying in that hospital bed, not being able to move, talk, or even get around, made me become angry with God. How could, how could he let this happen to someone that was so hardworking, selfless, always thought about others before himself, and supported our family wholeheartedly? I couldn't grasp the thought of God allowing this to happen to him. I asked myself why. Why not me or anyone else? Thankfully, my dad had successful surgeries, but the doctors were very surprised he was not left paralyzed. My anger with God was there, but my main focus was on trying to get my dad better. Fast forward to now as I started attending Zoe and knowing all the wonderful people, I I realized how important it is to be a part of the church. It was during my attendance every Sunday and growing closer to Miss Stephanie, God God was slowly opening my heart to wanting to know more about his true character. As she and I started doing one-on-one Bible study, I realized I was never in control of my own life and the things happening around me. I started becoming more and more less stressed, less worried about what could happen if I didn't take control of certain situations before they happened and started praying more about him instead of praying more about myself. God has worked in my life in ways I could never imagine. I have never felt more at peace in this world knowing I have God by my side. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. I realized how I was not set right with God because I was a sinner. I never believed his plan or trusted his reasoning. Without Jesus in my life, I have no purpose. It was an empty world without peace, comfort, and guidance. Now following the world, the word of God means fully trusting in his plan and knowing his purpose is more important than my own. I believe Jesus died for sinners, and that is who I put my full trust and hope in. Jeremiah, 20, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's sovereignty is an essential aspect of who he is, that he has supreme authority and absolute power over all things. With my complete trust and faith in Jesus Christ himself, I no longer need to worry about the things he created for me. Everything that happens is either caused or allowed by him for his own perfect purpose. I no longer have anger, anxiety, fears, knowing the only person that I can run and turn to is him and his word. He is my true purpose. My reason for being baptized today is because now I believe and profess in, and profess Christ is my only hope for salvation. And I want to share this moment with you all who are now my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you.